two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. Their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Impressive. Most impressive. A big thank you to Ann Superiority Complex for providing our theme song. It is August 11th, 2019. My name is Zach Weber, and as you can probably tell, it's just going to be you and I this week, folks, because we have a book review episode. Yes, everybody's favorite, as I always joke, and the downloads definitely reflect that. Ha, 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 ha. But this week, I will be talking about Thrawn Treason. The conclusion to the Thrawn trilogy of the new Star Wars canon, if they're even giving it that moniker. It is written by Timothy Zahn, who, that is his calling card in the Star Wars universe. Basically a little breakdown of how I'm going to do this review. First, I'm going to give my uh, spoiler-free thoughts. But even in kind of like my more detailed thoughts, I'm going to kind of not give anything specifically away because get out right out the bat, uh, nothing in this book explains what happens to Thrawn post Rebels. Just get that out of the way. Um, that'll be a little bit more of my thoughts further on in this review. Um, but there's really not anything to spoil in this. It's uh, it's it's a straightforward book. It's mostly an action adventure book. Um, if you enjoyed Thrawn from the original Thrawn trilogy, The Heir to the Empire days were thrown much more as a, a cerebral villain this is right this will be right up your alley i'm kind of disappointed that from what i can tell of the quote-unquote professional star wars fandom they they have a problem with this book they they really i don't want to say they dislike it but um actually i'll highlight you know what, i'll give them shout outs they don't need my shout i'll shout them out anyway um star wars explained and eckhart's ladder both did not like this book and both cited that it does not explain what happens to Thrawn after Rebels Season 4 as to why they didn't like this book. Um, and plus, they don't like the idea also that kind of like the, the, the I don't want to say the, the summary of the book is Thrawn trying to get funding for his TIE Defender project. And they're mad because, oh, Rebels Season 4 shows that the TIE Defender goes nowhere. That's why this book is so bad. And it's like, well, if, if you don't like a Star Wars project because you know where it's going to go... That's most of Star Wars. You, you can kind of tell where Star Wars is going. It basically just throw away the entire prequels, throw away the Clone Wars series. Heck, throw anything that takes place before a new hope. Heck, Rogue One is awful because we know what happens. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed that that's become kind of like a uh, rallying cry as to why this book shouldn't be read. Um, but as you're about to see, I do not fall into that camp. So let's delve right, I guess, uh my thoughts on this real quick, or in the sense of recommendation, go read this book. Um, if you follow us on any of our social media, 
you will know that I wholeheartedly give this book a recommendation. I think it's the best book of the Star Wars canon, hands down, and maybe one of the best Star Wars stories ever told, period. So that being said, um, if you want to go into Thrawn Treason, if you intend on reading it soon, please turn off this review now, because I will now be delving into specifics of the book, and where I th- and I'm going to be extrapolating from the book where I think they're taking certain plot elements that they introduced. All right, still here? Good. Thrawn Treason. I would say you don't have to read the first Thrawn book or the God, so stupid Star Wars. There's so many different things now. The new Thrawn book or the you don't have to read the first new Thrawn book or the second one, Thrawn or Thrawn Alliances, in order to appreciate Thrawn Treason. But there is some context that you need going into this book in order to really kind of, I don't want to say appreciate, though, but to kind of have a firm grasp of all the characters that are in this. First and foremost, there's the character of Eli Vanto. Um, in the first Thrawn book, he's partnered with Thrawn to be Thrawn's kind of like translator and to acclimate him to uh, the Galactic Empire. Like he kind of played the Watson to Thrawn, Sherlock Holmes in the first book. And at the end of the first book, Eli Vanto gets sent off to the Chiss Ascendancy in order to help them in their quest and just doing stuff. And that's pretty much the entire plot from the first Thrawn book. All you need to know is that he becomes a Grand Admiral in that book. But the whole point of that book is basically laying the groundwork to Thrawn being a Grand Admiral. Thrawn Alliances is the second book. I did a review on it last year. I actually re-listened to that review for this episode. And first and foremost, I just want to apologize to how bad the audio sounds. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, so we were clicking sound that episode that I can't figure out for the life of me, but, uh, I had to actually go back and listen to that to remember what the exact plot was of that book besides just Thrawn Invader being on the cover. And the main point of that book is it introduces the Gursks or the Grisks. I don't know exactly how to pronounce them. Uh, at the time I was pretty much convinced they're going to be our new Yuzan Bong. In this book, pretty much, Thrawn Treason essentially confirms that's what they're going to be in the new canon. They are the Yuzen Vong, except they're not, um, oh god, force, a void of the force. They're not, like, immune to it. Basically, all you gotta know from Thrawn Alliances is Thrawn encounters the Grisks, Gursk, whatever, once again, whatever they're called, and uh, Vader's there, and Vader kind of reports back to the Emperor and says, like, oh... Thrawn's TIE Defender project is promising, and this Gursk-Grisk species should be something we should be concerned about. Not right now, but it's definitely a problem to be dealt with sooner or later. So walking into Thrawn Treason, like I said, it's not a book to give spoilers. It's not a book that's like, wow, this book, if you know this, it's going to ruin that for you. Not that book at all. It is a fantastic adventure story. That's 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 really what it is at the end of the day. It's a great story set within the Star Wars universe. Because mostly, or I guess if you... Okay, the plot description or the plot synopsis in the publisher's description is that um, Thrawn is tasked by the Emperor to help Director Krennic or to solve a problem Director Krennic has in the supply line for the Death Star. In the supply lines for the Death Star, there are uh, basically giant Minox. They have a name. I forget what they're called. I think they're called Grolox or something, but they're just really big Minox. And the thing is that these Minox are shorting out uh, ships. They're supposed to be going to Death Star places to deliver 
materials and they're losing tons of shipments this way. Apparently, people have been working, Imperials have been working on solving this problem for years and they can't get anywhere. And Thrawn is told if you want more fun, if you don't want your funding for the TIE Defender cut, you better solve Director Krennic's problem. And if you don't, he gets all your funding. So Thrawn goes out to figure this all out and. Basically, within the first, I'd say, 100 pages of the book, Thrawn does his deducing and realizes, oh, the Minox aren't causing any of this. And again, to keep it rather concise, because I don't want to give any much away, because it really, it's a really fun book. It unfolds really neat. It's, it's not the typical Star Wars book where it just hits you over the head of just like Star Wars-isms. Because uh, before this, I was reading um, Alphabet Squadron. I had to, I don't want to say give up on it, because I intend on getting back to it. But like it's just a dry book. It's it's just it's fighter pilots just doing fight. It's basically Star Wars Band of Brothers, and you know that might sound interesting. It doesn't appeal to me. I, it's just like I I think I'm maybe seventy pages in that book, and I've just I, so many times I've stopped and started, stopped and started, and it's just like oh my god. It's like can, it's funny stuff happens though, but it's not. It doesn't read in an exciting way. And this and Thrawn Treason does a very similar thing where there's a lot of like exciting action going on. But Timothy Zahn does a great job of like laying it all out so you know what's going on, that you really have a great grasp of the geography of like battles and just skirmishes that are going on throughout this book. Something that Alphabet Squadron and books of that of that ilk. I know I even tried, I think I think years ago I tried reading a Oh god, I think it was Twilight Company. It was the Battlefront tie-in book from a few years ago. And it just I think I got a couple pages into that. And I'm like, no, pass. I'm good. But getting back to Thrawn Treason, is that there is a lot of just it's a Star Wars story, not in that like that typical, oh, we have that uh a hero plucked from obscurity of a life of misery to fight the Empire and beat the bad guys. No, it's just it's an adventure story with all sorts of Star Warsy stuff in the middle of it. And the best part is that it's introducing a bunch of new yet familiar elements. And I don't mean to talk in like generic vague terms because again, I don't want to give much away for this because I want you all to read this. This is a again, it's a great story. Just in the sense of like it's everything you should want from just a piece of space fantasy with a little bit extra sci-fi in it than we're used to for Star Wars. And um Again, the Chiss Ascendancy comes into this. We see a lot of Thrawn just doing his normal, just kind of sitting, not sitting there, but like deducing things and just beating people at their own game. And we have all the Star Wars like characters. I just had this, this book has a ton of characters in it. Again, we got Thrawn. We have Eli Vanta, who I mentioned was the, uh, in the first Thrawn book. We have Tarkin. We have Director Krennic. We have Emperor Palpy. And, but it's actually some of the newer characters. There are some of them, I don't want to say fun, but they're definitely the more interesting ones. Like um, when Thrawn sent off to do this thing for Director Krennic, he's tasked by having Director Krennic's assistant Ronan come in. And Ronan apparently is like a mini-me Director Krennic where he's just as obnoxious and full of himself. and even has like a smaller cape. It's noted that the cape is smaller than Krennic's. Again, the idea of having a mini-me Krennic, especially how like little we've been given of him in the new canon, is it's fun because he's basically, again, it's Krennic. He's a Krennic surrogate, though, but it's, he's basically doing what Krennic did in Rogue One for the most part. Really obnoxious, but it's fun to watch him kind of just, like, deal with all these circumstances that are way beyond his grasp. Another part of this book that's really good is kind of the Imperial intrigue. We get a lot of—basically, the entire book takes place from the Imperial perspective, except for the parts that involve 
the chess and Eli Vanto. Uh, but the Imperial, like kind of like bickering how they're all kind of like vying for power is another element that we don't really get to see a lot in star Wars, or if we do get to see it, it's just all the Imperials are incompetent, just blanket incompetent across the board. Cause even in preparation for recording this episode, I went back and watched the uh, season finale of rebel season three and a couple episodes of rebel season four where Thrawn disappears and then he reappears at the season, the series finale. I guess I should, just, I should just state that this book takes place if you know your Rebels season four. I think it's the episode where Kanan dies. Thrawn has a communication with Tarkin and says, we need you here. We need you to talk to the Emperor immediately. And Thrawn goes, I'll be there. And we actually see the, the Star Destroyer disappear or it goes out into light speed. And Thrawn disappears for a few episodes. And that's when this book takes place. And basically it concludes with him building the chamber for Emperor Palpatine that's in the series finale where Palpatine tries to lure Ezra into opening the world between worlds for a second time. So yeah, it takes place within Rebels Season 4 timeline though, but doesn't involve really anything specific from there other than some like name drops, the things that happened. Like I think Hera's capture is mentioned, and I think Thrawn even remarks that while he's gone, I think he says Governor Price is going to do something stupid and, and lose her in the process of all this, um, which obviously came to pass. So going back to my point being with some of the characters in the Imperial Intrigue is that the Imperials are never incompetent in this. They're all on their toes. They know what they're doing. They're firing on all cylinders, except for, again, our villains who obviously Thrawn has to beat. They're the ones who are a little bit, a little off balance. So, but that's to be expected. Uh, and that's one thing I really, that's one of the elements of this that really clicked with me is that I love seeing competent bad guys. It's like, even though I enjoy moments like in The Last Jedi where you do humiliate a dumb bumbling idiot like Hux, it's like, wouldn't it be great if our, our heroes actually had a competent villain to go against? And that's why I love Thrawn. And even going back and rewatching those Rebels episodes, it's so obvious that Timothy Zahn was not involved in writing Thrawn at all in Rebels. And even though Rebels Thrawn is, 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 is better than nothing, it's a lot better than having this another generic Imperial commander that they beat up or blow up or just putting vader in there only for him to disappear a couple seasons later um thrawn really is that villain that star wars needs that's not just an evil space wizard or a bumbling bureaucrat that's one of the many elements of this book that really resonated with me but the one part that's really fun is that you have a, a nice focus on the chiss ascendancy in what another militaristic somewhat fascist government regime is doing in a part of the galaxy that the empire doesn't has doesn't have their grasp on yet because there's numerous points in this book where it's like oh wow the chist ascendancy is to be messed with and the reason why they're having such a hard time dealing with the gursks the grisks is that they have their own civil war going on in the chist empire or Chiss Ascendancy, whatever they're officially called. And that's why they're kind of like, they don't know what to do with a lot of these problems. And, and that's why apparently Thrawn went to the Empire in the first book, was that he's looking for the Empire to help him in fighting the Grisks, because they are this kind of existential threat to the entire galaxy. And there's actually at one point in this where they're physically described and they bear a very similar resemblance to the Yuzan Vong. And since they have a very uh, sunken facial structure and they're very skull-esque, but if you know your Yuzan Vong from the comics and the books, that's, that's, they fit the same profile. 
Going back to the second book, the plot of that was is that the Gursks, the Grisks, kidnapped a bunch of Chiss children, little girls, because that's how the Chiss pilot their ships through light speed. Uh, all Chiss children have this ability called third sight, where they can like kind of like see what's in front of them, and they can like navigate through like space. And that's why the Gursks, Grisk kidnapped them, is that they want that ability. And the climax of Thrawn Alliances was having Vader perform that exact same ability. And Thrawn even remarks that in the Chiss language, those Chiss children that have that ability, Third Sight translates into Chiss Skywalkers. And in this book, we actually meet a Chiss woman whose name is Vanya, who's like over 20 years old, she's the oldest chist to ever still like retain this ability. And she also has an ability, because at one point, without getting into specifics, she has to read one of the small chist chis children's minds, the ones that 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 old girl that was kidnapped by the Gursk, the Grisks. And she's able to read her mind, and it's called Second Sight. And apparently it's even a rarer ability to third sight amongst the chists. And she's able to, Vena is able to almost like copy the memories or download the memories into her brain of this chish child. And you can't help but feel that that's very similar to what Kylo Ren did to Rey in The Force Awakens. And we'll get out again later in the review, I'll get to tying this in with a bunch of stuff. I think, I, I think there's, even though this book isn't specifically laying anything out, being like, oh, this is where that's going. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not like a Marvel post credit scene. There is things I think you can extrapolate. Again, I could be wrong, but we'll get there in due time. You have the chist with this ability. And at one point, uh, Krennic's lackey, Ronan, is sitting there. And, or actually, right before that passage, there's a part where Vena like cringes before something. She's just sitting there and she starts cringing. And next thing we know, like an imperial, like, like an imperial cadet that's on the bridge of the Chimera, Thrawn's uh, star destroyer, trips and makes a horrible noise. And then like we cut back to Ronan experiencing or seeing this all happen, noticing that the girl or, or woman Vena cringes before the sound happens, and he goes, "Oh." The Chiss have Jedi too now. And he's like, that's why director Krennic sent me here. Because Ronan's not happy at all being sent on this mission. He doesn't like this. There's too, there's too many aliens for Ronan's liking. And Ronan's thing is like, oh, there are members of the Chiss Ascendancy that have the powers of Jedi. And it's like, oh. And that kind of shows up only twice in the book. It's only touched upon a couple of times. But it's like, huh, that's an interesting idea. Chiss Jedi. That's a really kind of big thing to lob out there and then do nothing with for the rest of the book. There's some really cool elements, too, where um, Ronan and Eli Vanto have to go to like a spaceport in order to capture a ship to help prove Thrawn's case about what's going on with these shipments. And they go there and they're escorted by two death troopers, but they're death troopers, but they're not in their armor. They have to wear civilian clothing for the mission. And it's great. The two death troopers names are pick and waffle. And even though they don't have a big part in this book, it's so much fun watching kind of death troopers out of their element, do that, but do their thing still without their armor, without like just knowing that though. And I know there was a big discussion point before rogue one came out. They're like, Oh, death troopers. Are they just another like elite, group of stormtroopers within the empire 
Or is there something a little bit more spooky about them? Because I know there's like that book called Death Troopers with the zombie death troopers. And even I think the Rogue One Visual Dictionary, they hint, oh, they've had cybernetic advances. And that was never like confirmed before. And what's even fun in this book is that Eli Vanto's like, just like internal monologuing about the death troopers. Like, oh, these guys shouldn't be messed with. I've heard they've had cybernetic like enhancements though, but there's nothing to prove that physically. So there are rumors even within the Star Wars galaxy that death troopers are more than what they just seem. They have had some sort of like physical augmented abilities beyond just, I guess, what normal people can do. So that was neat. And it's really, again, that was a really fun sequence. If you like Star Wars when it's at its most adventure-esque, but at the same time you have – imagine a Star Wars adventure story, no lightsabers, no pirates. Well, there's a little bit pirate. There's a little bit of pirate smuggling. About like two-thirds of the way through the book, the pirate smuggling thing comes in again. But it's really toned down compared to most Star Wars books because most Star Wars books are either Jedi shenanigans or smugglers and pirates. And this book is – imagine a book – from the bad guys but they're trying to repel even worse guys and that's what i think is great about that and it's all very adventure-esque so if you like that idea of having the bad guys fight against even worse guys with a little bit of adventure sprinkled in pick up this book it's absolutely stellar if that's what you're looking for at star wars which even when i went into this i kind of went in with the same thing that a lot of the professional star wars fans did we're like oh geez do I really want to read a book where it's just kind of like, I don't know, treading water. It's spinning its wheels. It's not going to tell me anything new about the Star Wars galaxy. But I was proven wrong for multiple reasons. And now this helps me kind of move on to what I want to uh, extrapolate going forward for Thrawn, the character of Thrawn, this book, and the whole new Thrawn trilogy. The first Thrawn book is really dry, but the only exception I'll make to that is they did release a, uh, I think they did a comic book adaptation of that book, and they released it as like a, it's not a graphic novel, but like a collection of all the uh, issues in that series. And I picked that up from my local library, which is where I also got Thrawn Treason from. Remember, folks, support your local library. Don't give Jeff Bezos any more money than he needs. But going back to the graphic novel, I picked that up. And I was, I kind of, I read the whole thing and it definitely, it gives you, it's, it's not a one-to-one adaption of the book because it would be like 800 pages, but it gives kind of like a highlights reel of everything that's important in that book. And there's two particular passages in that book that should be noted, both when we look at the overall new Thrawn trilogy and Thrawn's role in the new canon at large. So very early on in the Thrawn graphic novelization and in the overall this Thrawn novel, I think I said Thrawn is uh, – the Emperor wants to meet Thrawn, and him and Thrawn have a back and forth. And at one point in the conversation, Thrawn says to the Emperor, there are threats lurking in the unknown regions that will someday find your empire. I am familiar with them. I offer my military skill to utilize in making plans to seek out and eliminate these dangers. And then very like almost toward the very, very tail end of the book, when Thrawn is confronting the antagonist of the Thrawn book, he turns around to this person named Night Swan and says, there are things in this galaxy far more evil than the Empire and far more dangerous to all living beings. 
By the end of reading this new Thrawn trilogy, it's pretty obvious that he's referring to the Gurks, the Grisks, because it's made abund- abundantly clear that they have the ability to enslave different species, and not just like enslave them as in like what the Empire did to the Wookiees and so many other different species of the Star Wars galaxy. They have a way of like infiltrating the mind and getting their client species as what they're called not called slaves they're called client species to the point where they're willing to even kill themselves to protect the gersk grisks because at this point thrawn hasn't even had much access to gersk grisk art which we all know that's what thrawn loves kind of like deducing and how his adversaries think is through their art because the gersk grisk destroy self-destruct anything of theirs so enemies can never get their hands on it so that's kind of the big thing that Thrawn's concerned about is how is the Empire going to fight off this enemy? Because the Gurs Grisk are hinted at to have infiltrated the Chiss Ascendancy, and that's where the Civil War stems from. Half the population feels the, the, of the Chiss that they should side with the Gurs and go along with them. The other half says, no, we have to retain our individuality and our own identity. And that's why Thrawn is going to the Empire. He wants Imperial resources to help defeat the Gersk Grisk, because he knows too that if they've already infiltrated the Chiss Ascendancy, it's only a matter of time until they get to the Empire, and it's made abundantly clear in this that the Gersk Grisk are aware of the Death Star, and if Thrawn didn't, doesn't take the actions that he does in this book, they will get to the Death Star eventually. It's only a matter of time. Getting to Thrawn's place in the larger canon, and how this book ends it it ends in a way that i think a lot of people would call underwhelming but i do think it's very telling uh the very last and and don't worry folks this is not a spoiler if you're still listening because if you've if well it's a spoiler if you've never seen rebels season four if you've never seen the series finale the rebels then i might be spoiling something for you so this is the final few paragraphs of thrawn treason but for now there were other more urgent matters to deal with the lethal rebels and the young Jedi Ezra Bridger. We will speak of this another time, he told Thrawn. I'm sending you instructions on a chamber I wish for you to construct aboard the Chimera. After you reach Lafal and put down the rebel activity, you will bring Ezra Bridger to the chamber. He smiled. I'm sure you'll find a way to persuade him to join you. I will endeavor to do so, your majesty, Thrawn promised. Then I leave you to your duties, the emperor said. And Grand Admiral Mithral Nerodo, yes, your majesty, when the business on the falls finished, the Emperor said softly, you will return to Coruscant, where you and I will have a long, long talk. End of the book. I read that passage, and I know, again, like I said, professional Star Wars fandom is, is angry and seething because they think, oh man, they're just repeating what we already know. It's like, well, look at it this way, though. When you think of that line, the fact that as of now, we have no idea, like, at the end of this book, there's really nowhere to go with Thrawn other than exploring what happens to him post-Rebels. And it's interesting that why would they be holding off on Thrawn now for over a year and a half? And why would they tie Thrawn, and especially considering the epilogue to Rebels series finale, where it takes place long after the Galactic Civil War is over? And it brings up an interesting point, or at least one, this is again, this is my speculation. Now we're kind of like, I'm just pulling evidence from the book without anything the book's deliberately explaining. So uh, conjecture time, folks. Speculation abounds. Is that let's look at all the information that we have of Thrawn right now. Thrawn was in two seasons of Rebels. He has three books, and he has a comic book adaptation of his first book. 
But there's one other mention of him that was very telling, especially when you consider that it was Thrawn's first mention in books. Basically, the first season, or I'm sorry, his first season in Rebels was still ongoing, and none of his books were out yet. It was in Aftermath, Empire's End, with Gallius Rax, who's a character I think it's not, it's interesting he hasn't been mentioned any of this so far, but he says, the only reason why the Emperor kept Thrawn around was for his understanding and knowledge of the unknown regions. But Palpatine had one in the Navy who knew something of the unknown regions. Admiral Thrawn, an alien with ice-blue skin who came from beyond the borders of the known galaxy. Palpatine only kept that one around because of what he knew of traversing those deadly interstices. Much of what Thrawn knew went into the computations of this machine. Palpatine said that this galaxy was to be his, but that it was only one among many. And like I said, going back to Rebel Season 4, I watched the last two episodes of that series finale, and Ezra at one point, they're all they're planning some attack to reclaim the fall. And Ezra's sitting there, and I think uh, Hera is off. She's not even on the fall yet. She's off collecting uh, Gregor... Uh, Tetsu, uh, Wolf, Hondo, uh, Melch, and he says we. Ha- he goes to Ryder, Azadi, and Sabine, and says we need to launch the attack now. And they go, we, how? We're not. Nobody. Everybody's not even here yet. He goes, we need to do it now. And if you watch the rest of that episode, as or actually the rest of the series, <laughs> all like episode and a half of it. Ezra keeps saying that he doesn't have a choice in this matter, and he because he says, "I had a vision that Thrawn is the Emperor has sent Thrawn back to Lethal." Ezra, you okay? Something's changed. Something's happening. What's wrong? I have to talk to Hera. Ezra, what's the emergency? We need to act right now if we're going to take Capital City from the Empire. Your plan is crazy enough as it is. What's the rush? I had a vision. The Emperor is sending Thrawn back to Lothal. It's now or never. And think about that. Why would Ezra have a vision? Uh, Not just the fact that Thrawn's returning. He doesn't just say Thrawn's returning. The Emperor has sent Thrawn back to Lothal. With that very specific task that I just laid out from the end of Thrawn Treason. And at numerous times when, like, and they're, they're about to jettison the big, big ship from the fall, Ezra said, I think they say, like, Ezra, you don't have to go. Like, I think Thrawn threatens to blow up the whole city on the fall. And they say, you don't have to do this, Ezra. There's other ways. And he goes, yeah, sure, whatever. And then when everyone's backs is ter- backs returned, he jumps through, like, a ventilation shaft, and he has to go confront Thrawn. I await your arrival, and make no mistake, come alone, if you attempt any Heroics, I will resume the bombardment and destroy your city, and then your friends. Ezra. I understand that you think you need to do this, but... This is what I was meant to do. It's the overall things that Ezra has almost, like his entire 
core of everything he says around this, whether it be the Thrawn to the other ghost crew, the rebels, is that he had to do this. And it all stems from the Emperor and what he's doing by sending Thrawn there with the chamber to access the world between worlds again. And it makes you wonder, what did the Emperor know that he was setting in motion by sending Thrawn there and having Ezra confront Thrawn? Or having those two meet? Looks like you lose, Thrawn. A momentary setback. We'll see. Sir, several unidentified objects have just entered orbit. My blockade will intercept them. They've destroyed the blockade. Our ships are just... gone. Get Captain Pallion. Sir, they came out of hyperspace! I've never seen... Admiral, we have incoming. Take a look. Because you look at that and you combine it with Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni was primarily in charge of Rebels. And then you look at what Rebels, or you look at what happened to Ezra and Thrawn. They ended up somewhere in the unknown regions. Because there's about four to five years between the end of Rebels and basically the epilogue of Rebels. Where it's post, well it takes place after the Battle of Endor. And you have to wonder, if they're being sent out to the unknown regions, why would that happen? Not sent, they just end up there. And then you think about, again, pull from real-world knowledge, the rumor, and let's just for the sake of this argument, or for the sake of discussion, believe it to be true, that for Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, Palpatine has this Sith Armada out in the unknown regions just biding its time. Think about that. We know that the idea of having Palpatine ha- or having a lost 
army or armada in the unknown regions comes from the original Thrawn trilogy, the Katana fleet. That's a little too coincidental for my liking that Thrawn, who has explicitly been said in the canon, the only reason why the emperor kept him around was for his knowledge of the unknown regions and his understanding of it. And then they're pulling a plot thread from an original Thrawn book of the Katana fleet. You know, it's a giant armada being lost in, in space and if you look, the the Imperial Star Destroyer that Thrawn's using, the Chimera, is a Class One Imperial Star Destroyer. The same type of Star Destroyer we saw in the Rise of Skywalker trailer. A lot of this is circumstantial. It's not ironclad. But it's just, there's too many things apparent here. And considering that, why would they take Thrawn? I think even Timothy Zahn has said... Dave Filoni will be the one to decide what happens to Thrawn. So why take Thrawn off the board unless you plan on doing something very specific with him that can't be unveiled or discussed until a specific date and time? I can't think of another Star Wars character that is, that is as popular as Grand Admiral Thrawn. You introduce him into the canon only after two seasons of a TV show pull him out. And clearly, Timothy Zahn was given an edict that his books could not happen outside the scope of the Rebels' time frame. Again, a lot of it's circumstantial, and maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, though. But just combine all those elements. The fact that Rebel uh, Thrawn put in the Unknown Regions, he's only around because the Emperor thinks Thrawn has the understanding to the Unknown Regions. And a plot line, potential plot line, for The Rise of Skywalker is a lost armada in the unknown regions that at least features one imperial or features at least one class one imperial star destroyer that we know is out there from the ending of rebels i don't know folks it's weird it's it's definitely i think they're trending that direction i'm not to say i'm not going to say that thrawn is in episode nine but it definitely seems like he the character will have some role into why the chessboard is in the position that it is come episode nine. He definitely he might not even be mentioned. Forget even the physical appearance by Thrawn, but I do think there is a role for him to play in all this. And plus, there's the thing that Dave Filoni said about Ezra Bridger. He said that I choose my characters' names very carefully, and they all have meaning. Ezra Bridger's name is not that by accident. And think about it: Ezra Bridger might be the one bridging all this together. Could I be crazy? Who knows? But it'll be fun to see what happens in a couple months from now. So with that being said, uh, Thrawn Treason, go pick it up. Go read it. If what I, anything I've said intrigues you, go get the book. Go to your local library. Go to, your, to a bookstore that's not Amazon, please. Get, uh, I guess you can't get the audiobooks. That's all Amazon stuff. The audiobook. Actually, I'm, I'm really tempted to go get the audiobook for this because it could be really fun to hear some of it. Like, there's some really great like, banter between the different characters, um, especially hearing Thrawn's voice again. I think that'd be great. Um, but yeah, definitely check this book out. I think it's the best Star Wars book ever written. Like I was genuinely excited while reading this. This was the definition of a page turner for me. I'm not a huge reader and it's been, it's been a little while since I really found a book that really kind of like captured my imagination. And I genuinely could not wait to pick this book up again. when I had to stop reading it periodically. Um, I banged it out under a week. It was, it's everything I want, not just from a book or a Star Wars book, but from a Star Wars story. It's, it's aces. Read it. You won't be disappointed.
So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader podcast. Check out the Facebook group, Knights of Vader, into Facebook, and you will be able to talk all sorts of nonsense with us. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Send us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. I know we have some emails on there from some of you listeners, though, but because of everybody taking their summer vacations in August, it's going to be a little while until uh, we address some of your emails. So for those of you who've emailed us, please be patient. We did not forget about you. We will answer your episodes probably in the coming weeks, like I said. We'll get there, I promise, though, because we recorded a a nice amount of episodes. Everyone can have the rest of August off. So uh, we will get to you, but we probably will get to you any sooner than probably September. But we have not forgotten you. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter. At Cinemodis, and you can hear me on the Cinemodis podcast where we'll be discussing Key and Peel. And also, if you want to hear more from Zenger, check out the Zeng This podcast, where Lord knows what sort of uh, geeky, nerdy diatribes will be going on this week. And hopefully, we'll finally get that Ellie Avengers Endgame episode. Fingers crossed. And as always, folks, good night, but not goodbye. Remember, Alderaan, down with the Empire.